I'm Erin Cassidy Cernanic, and welcome to Contemplatio, a daily podcast offering brief Ignatian contemplation for each liturgical season. This podcast holds a sacred space for those of us who struggle to find the time in our busy schedules to properly contemplate the magnificent mystery of God's love. This is Father Patty Gilger here for the Contemplatio podcast. Today we're going to be thinking about the readings for the first Sunday of Lent. In order to prepare to do that, I'd like to ask you to pay attention to your body and to your mind and to your heart. First, your body. Maybe sit upright, cross your legs, put your feet on the floor, press your back against the chair. Regardless, take a breath, a deep breath, and feel how you feel. After your body is calm, pay attention to your mind. Are you able to hear the words that I'm speaking, or are the words inside your own mind still very loud and strong? Let them calm. Breathe them out with each breath. Hold them, and then set them aside. Let there be an empty space. And in that empty space, notice where your heart is. Let yourself be open vulnerable there. Of course, there is maybe some resistance or some excitement or some anxiety. Just notice what is there. Pull back the feelings. Open up the space in your heart. Breathe again. And then with your eyes open or closed, look up to God who is here with us now looking down at you smiling with loving affection. Our readings for our first Sunday of Lent feature the temptation of Jesus in the desert. It's a story that we all know well. One of the most beautiful depictions of the story is at the Basilica San Marco in Venice. There's a mosaic there that depicts Jesus, the lawgiver. He's holding a scroll And the first temptation, he's sitting on the rock in the desert, and Satan comes to him holding bread, offering it to him. And in the second depiction, right next to it, he's standing on the roof of the Temple Mount, and the devil comes to him and offers to protect him, to command his angels that they will support him. Jesus again resists. And in the third temptation, he is standing on top of a very high mountain, looking down at all the kingdoms of the world. In the picture, all of the riches of the world, everything that is offered is depicted in these beautiful gold and silver and white gemstones that are beneath the feet of Jesus. The scripture reads this way. The devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence and said to him, all these I shall give you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God you shall worship, and him alone you shall serve. I have to admit, for me, resisting the first two temptations is not that difficult. I don't mean it's easy all the time. Of course, I'm tempted to pay attention to my own needs or something similar. 
but it's the third that really grabs me, if I'm honest. And it's not because I really want to possess all the treasures of the kingdom, but it's because if this is what is being offered, what I feel is also being offered is the possibility to command the kingdoms, right? To take charge of them. I want that kind of control sometimes, that kind of power, not just for me, not for the riches there, but so that things could be better. That's really what I feel like the evil spirit is offering Jesus in the third temptation there. The capacity to fix the world, to take control of these broken kingdoms, to perfect them, solve the problems. And it's right there where, honestly, I am very tempted by the evil spirit. It's the exact same place where I resist Christ's own rejection of the evil spirit. I'm not proud of it, but it is rational in some ways, right? Because when it comes down to it, the question for me is, why did God choose to save the world like he did? Why not just take charge? I'm very tempted to want there to be a strong God, a Messiah in the image of David who conquers and walks into the royal city with his army at his back, everyone in adulation, and all those who resist overcome. And there's an image of that even in the scriptures, but it doesn't look like how I imagine the strong man entering the royal city. Instead, it's Jesus seated on a donkey and yes, everyone is celebrating, but it's not quite the same. And you all know as well that there are all these strange moments in the scriptures where early on especially, people are coming to learn that Jesus is the Messiah. And he continues to tell them not to tell anyone. The messianic secret, it's called, right? Why does he keep it a secret? Part of the reason is because what people think the Messiah will be is not who Jesus is. They think he will be the conqueror, the strong man, the army commander, and that's not who he is. Instead, he is the one who came as a vulnerable child and who walks, although he does not like it, the way of the cross and suffers and dies. This is how he chooses to bring life for me, it's, it's baffling sometimes why God chose to save the world this way rather than another. St. Ignatius sees this dichotomy, this conflict, this contrast. He sees it really clearly in a famous prayer of his from the spiritual exercises. It's called The Two Standards. In it, he asks the retreatant, us who are doing the prayer, to imagine ourselves in two different places. One sitting amongst the army of the evil spirit of Satan and listen to the instructions that Satan gives his own soldiers, metaphorically. In there, what Ignatius writes is that the evil spirit tells his soldiers to lead human beings in this particular way, from riches to honors to pride, and so to seal ourselves off from contact dependence on the Holy Spirit and on God. And then afterwards, he asks us to imagine ourselves with Jesus, the commander of the Holy Army, and listen to the commands, the instructions that Jesus gives to his own disciples. And there he says, 
Jesus asks his disciples to lead people to God by guiding them first to poverty as opposed to riches, and then to humiliations or dishonor as opposed to honor, and finally to humility as opposed to pride. I have to admit that uh, when I prayed this prayer, I felt enormous resistance in myself. There's just very little in me that wants dishonor or poverty or even humility at times, at least for its own sake or for their own sake. The only thing that saves the prayer for me, the only thing that makes it a channel of contact with the living God is that I do not do these things for their own sake. I'm not humble for the sake of being humble or I don't accept humiliations for the sake of dishonor or poverty, one of the vows that I live as a Jesuit. I only accept these things out of relationship with Jesus. And that puts us in one other context that I think is really important for today. We have to remember that in this Lenten season, just like in the mosaic in the Basilica San Marco, these temptations only happen after the baptism. Jesus is driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit only after he has been submerged in the River Jordan, submerged in God's loving acceptance and celebration of him. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's only for me when I hear those words spoken straight to me, to my heart and to my mind and to my body, that I am in any way capable of considering accepting the path of poverty and humiliations and humility. It's only in fidelity to that kind of love that I am willing to move down this path that Ignatius asks. And it's then that even though there is still something in me that resists, I can begin to see something of why God has chosen to save the world in the way that he has, through weakness and in poverty. That glimpse is incredibly beautiful, almost as beautiful as the mosaic in the basilica, almost as beautiful as the words of scripture, almost as beautiful as the experience that I hope we can have during this Lenten season of drawing ever closer in penance, in fasting, to Jesus who came among us poor and weak, not strong, not as a conqueror, but as a friend. So we pray. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on Contemplatio. Make sure to visit our website, ignatiancontemplation.com. If you find value in this podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.